Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast. Brought to you in part by GSM Outdoors. Hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw. We bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk. Beamer and Poole, what's happening, fellas? <laughs> Poole, what's happening? What's well, happening I, I know what's going on in your world. I guess we can discuss that a little bit this morning. Uh, or even, Beamer, you had knee surgery yesterday. I, I did. I did. The, the wonderful COVID postponed it from February till now. And... Um, in that time, I was able to not only tear the interior of the meniscus, but I was able to work on the ACL on the outside since I got to postpone it for five months and just kept going as hard as I could on it. Yeah, I my, like those my, I like those pictures you sent, just like I knew exactly <laughs> what I was looking at when you sent those to me. <laughs> well, when he got them, I was actually sitting down for lunch at the Mexican restaurant, <laughs> so I, I I felt obligated to share them around and, yeah. and let everybody know what I was looking at while I was trying to eat. So You were just asking somebody else if I knew what it was, you didn't have a clue what it was. <laughs> Trust me, the crowd I have lunch with, no one else knew either. So. Yeah, hey, it really... It really wasn't anything to do with my knee. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will not. <laughs> we're not going to share the photos, Beamer. Let's yeah, that won't that. be okay. the caption on this podcast uh-uh. uh, since we no. are, you know, partnered or, or brought to you in part by GSM Outdoors. We will we will keep that. It's it's pretty interesting, though, to see what uh, the knee looked like and then what it looked like when it was cleaned up. Yes, it did. Uh, that was a big difference in there. Especially on, yeah. on what I could tell from it. Now, my wife can probably look at it being in the medical field and explain it a lot better this evening. But hmm. the yeah, what well, Beamer, what does that do? How long is this going to put you down? Is it going to mess you hunting up very much? Is it going no slow you not up? at all? No, I'm I'm uh, I start uh, physical therapy next Tuesday. Um, I'm walking today without crutches. Um, I was told to. Um, I have not taken any narcotic pain meds for it. It's one of those things that I hope to be full blast in two to three weeks. Okay. I, do have, I do have two surgeries coming up on my left arm that uh, will not be near as fun. Now, I'm going to guess those are going to be after bow season? No, I, I don't think so. I don't think I can go that far. I uh, had an ulnar nerve, which is your funny bone nerve, um, you know, if you smack it really hard and your hand goes burning and, you know, you feel like you're going to pass out when you hit your funny bone really hard. Well, it's I no longer my funny own, at that ulnar point. nerve tear. And what happened there was that was 24-7, 365 of my palm on fire. And I had to tie a strap around my forearm. Um, I spent uh, four surgeries last year, uh, five times the emergency room got as high as like 10,000 milligrams of gabapentin to knock nerve pain down and finally had a doctor strip my ulnar nerve in my elbow, cut me about seven or eight inches long and he got the pain to go away. He got movement back in there and he got the ulnar nerve fixed, but my hand is dead. And I mean, dead, dead. Like you could, uh, you could run air nailer through it and I would watch it happen and laugh. Um, Have you so tried What's that? Have you tried it? Air nailing? No, not, not yet. Okay. But that's a good, good suggestion. I'll <laughs> well, tell I'm, you all about I'm it. thinking that idea. would go, you know, insta-famous right there. Something viral yeah, I mean, indeed. 
Yeah, it would definitely okay. go go wild. So it would it would probably bring your likes and shares and hits up. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I always I always like buying friends and then doing pain to buy more. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> uh... Yeah, so no, they they've um, they've I've been to like four neurologists for it cuz my whole arm's numb now and my hand's numb. And if I don't watch what, and I'm left-handed, and this is my left hand, so if I'm not watching what I'm doing with my hand, I don't know what I'm doing with it. <laughs> so I drop a lot of coffee cups. Um, when I'm typing, I think I'm typing an A and S or a shift, you know, over here on the keyboard, and and then I I look down and I I haven't touched any of them, and I think I am. <laughs> so um, they're going in. They just did three MRAs vascular with contrast. They're going to go in and fix my elbow. And then since my shoulder has been so busted up, they're going to go in and fix my shoulder and try to get the ulnar nerve released because we've done the C6 and C7 on the back. We've done the carpal tunnel and ulnar release in the hand and this big seven inch stripping of my elbow. So once they get that done, I'm going to be back. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be ball time. It's time to play. It won't be long. Beamer's gonna be a new man. I am. Bionic, I really am. Bionic man. Yeah. Dead. But what is it? Five like, million dollar man? Wasn't that the old TV series? Yeah. Remember? Steve Austin. I don't remember that one. That may be before your time. Maybe. Well. Yeah. Jimmy, I know you had something you wanted to hit on yeah, earlier yeah, before did. we got started and, and got into... Being we're to, off in the medical field, we're going to shift gears slightly, Beamer. Okay. So something I found pretty interesting. I didn't know anything about it. And Beamer, Jacob and I were talking about it. He didn't know anything about it, but you might. But earlier this month, our great President Trump signed the Great American Outdoors Act. And so I did a little bit of research into it. And it appears that the Land and Water Conservation Fund, it hasn't really been funded since it was created in 1964. But by signing the act, the the Great American Outdoors Act, it's going to permanently allocate $900 million a year for conservation projects. Have you heard or have any insight on that? I I don't have any insight. I, I know that that was done. And that's the things that so many of our prior presidents have, have overlooked and you know is is one of the things look look back to Teddy Roosevelt you know and some of the conservation programs he did we, we've kind of lost track with that you know the world is so chaotic and you know I'm not blaming any of our previous presidents but there th- that was never their top priority it was not the hunter you know and, and not a sportsman and, and conservationist you know I was with the Pope and Young Banquet, I was a keynote speaker, so I got to introduce uh, Donald Trump Jr., and him and I were talking about it. And he's a scrapper, as his dad is, and it was really fun to hear him talk and and have, I mean, a- absolute, he just locked you in when he started talking about what he's going to do, opening lands and, and, and you know, putting money into these funds, talking about his father. So it, it's really a cool time. And a lot of people uh, are pointed the wrong way, in my opinion, but they, they really need to take a good, hard look at the big picture. And that, that's what that's what Donald Trump's doing for us right now. He's big picturing. You know, Nugent's been doing it forever. And he's one of my dearest friends. And it's one of those things that, that Ted can, can sprout it up from any rooftop. You know, he can get on his soapbox. But he, he's never had the back. He's never had the power. And, and Trump, he's taking it. And I love it. 
Oh, no doubt, man. And and obviously that's something you're probably not going to hear on the news right now. Something good that that happened, especially for us outdoorsmen. But I did stumble across that today, and I found it pretty interesting. Something that I did not know anything about, and I uh, want to know. Want to get your insight on it a little bit. I figure you may know a little bit about it. But um, but yeah, man, that was that's something awesome and uh, some some good news you can hear. Well, I'll be yeah. interested to see which what type of projects that goes towards funding. Yeah. If it opens up new lands or right, you know what what type of development projects that they're going to do with that. Mm-hmm. That would be be pretty interesting to see. Something to keep an eye. I mean, nine hundred million is a pretty good. Yeah, it's a good chunk. Yeah, I, that's that's a good starting point. And yeah, I, and, I, and I found I, it on U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services. Um, they had they had made a post about it earlier this month, and I was just kind of thumbing along through there today, and and found that I said, well, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Something that you know you wouldn't hear in the news today. Much of negativity. Yeah, there's there's way too much of that that goes on. Uh, my former business partner is the president of the Minnesota Bow Hunters, and he scraps, I mean, on a monthly basis with the DNR. And what a ridiculous waste of energy and time when when you're fighting for something that we both should be unified. You know, and, and again, I come right back to, to Nuge. It, it's it's one of those things. It, he'll tell you from the get go that. Look, look what happened to fox hunting in England. You know, if, if our voice gets smaller and smaller and less and less people participate in it and, and scream from the rooftops, we're not going to have a voice anymore. We're going to lose it. So mm-hmm. be, be thankful we have a president that's, that's looking out uh, over that on different avenues. But we as sportsmen really need to, to understand that and get after it. Well, Beamer, we had a guest on two weeks ago that was kind of going through some numbers, talking about hunter recruitment, some different things with us. And I thought one of the things that he brought up that, you know, really and truly in American society, 80% of the country is really neither for or against, you know, they're kind of neutral and that, you know, 10% of hunters, you know, were, or, or, of the population were hunters and were advocates for it. And then 10% were just completely against it. And I just thought that was a neat, mm-hmm. you know, demographic that, you know, you've got 80% of the country out there that's neither really for it or against it. They're kind of neutral, but he said that that's really not the target, the audience that they really target just because they need them to stay neutral. You know, you, well, you're really yeah. going after the 10 that, that are into it and you're trying to grow that 10 a little bit, but you really just don't, the main thing I think from their end of it, if I understood him right, was just not to make the masses go against you. Well, and, and I think, I think that when he, when he talks about that, hold on one second, I'm going to call. I muted that. Did that work? Absolutely. Okay, good. That's probably how I should stay <laughs> muted. Um, you know, but, but there is this great opportunity then. If what you're saying, and this, this guy's got his numbers straight, you know, if, if 20% is going to be the demographic that, that basically is the voice, whether it be good or bad, we have such an opportunity to grow. And the thing that we have to be cognizant of is when we promote hunting and we promote our sportsmanship, that we do it in such a way that is acceptable by those neutral people where you hope to suck a bunch in and what you can't do 
especially as, as sportsmen in the industry, is we can't break laws. We can't put out a presence, you know, and strap a deer onto the front of our truck and, you know, and drive around town. I mean, we have to be um, great representatives of, of this, you know, of this whole industry. And with that, and a little bit of voice, you can pull some of those people over. So I, I don't know if his numbers are right. They probably are. But well, the scary thing is, is you don't want to lose any. Another point he had getting into it deeper with him, it was, uh, he was talking about they do a lot of group studies where they will bring in people who, you know, from all demographics. And, you know, you always ask them, or, or people always ask you as a hunter, so, you know, why do you love hunting? What, what is what is it that brings you on board? And he said, you know, as hunters, we always talk about our heritage, our traditions. He said, but for people who have never hunted, they don't have that heritage. No. They don't have that tradition. And that's why they're neutral. Yeah, you know? they, they just don't. So he said, it's, it's neat trying to come up with explanations for why you're passionate about what you're passionate about without using those terms or how to explain those terms to someone who has never you know when you and i say well it's a family tradition or it's it's a heritage you know we know it's been passed on from generation to generation from father uncle you know whoever we grew up in it but you know you're talking to a whole different world that has never grown up you know you you've got so many more activities for people to do now other than to hunt or to fish. And it, it was just a really neat conversation to try to get, you know, some of the feedback back on that. That would, that would be a neat post for, for you guys to throw out there on your Facebook page is in a limited amount of words. How would you explain to somebody that does not hunt, does not have the honors and traditions, how would you explain to them why you do that, why you hunt, why you fish? You know, that, that's an interesting topic. And you can feel it, you know, when you're face to face. You know, you can, you can read somebody's eyes when you start talking about, you know, one of the things that I love about bow hunting, and that's really what I do, is I, I love the challenge of beating an animal and then executing a shot. I'm not just out there for catch and release and it, it's one of those things that i want to be fed from from the land but i'm not doing it because that's my only means of food but it, it's one of those things that it is the largest challenge it's one that god put out there for us the animals are there for us to eat and we need to make it a challenge we need to make it something that is it is tough and it's something that when you finally have success whether it be waterfowl hunting on your fourth day of you know bluebird days finally catching the weather you know the decoy spread is perfect or the flooded timber is absolutely perfect and you pick the right spot it's one of those where, where you you take that success and it's a feeling it's like playing golf if you're not that good at it every once in a while you hit a perfect shot and that's why you like golf you know most people can't play it like jay gregory can you know scratch golf and why do you do it? Well, it's fun because every once in a while I hit it right. Well, every once in a while, when you put all the game together, you have success. And it might be you missed the deer, and that's still a success. It might be you had an encounter, and that's a success for you. But my end goal out there is is I'm I'm the alpha, and I, I'm trying to take a mature animal uh, with my bow, and, and I'm not shy about it. But we have to figure out how we say that so it doesn't offend people. Well, that's, you know, when I was in college, we had gone 
you couldn't say the word killed anymore. You harvested, you took, you, you know, we were having to learn to be, and, and that from a country boy from South Mississippi, that was a whole <laughs> new, no, I thumped him. You know, I mean, he, we had yeah. many other terms that we used, and then you had to, well, you know, I harvested a really nice eight point, and it, it took a little time for me to, you know, begin to use the lingo to to understand that when you're in a professional setting and you're not just among, you know, another group of hunters that you, you, you really do need to watch, you know, how you word things sometimes, just not to to turn off or to alienate someone else from, you know, a sport that we're passionate about. Well, we used to, at Double Bowl, we sold arrow wraps. <clears throat> Easy Eye came out uh, with arrow wraps back then, so you didn't have to dip your arrows anymore. I'm really aging myself now. But you, you had these really neat custom arrow wraps, and we had one that said, Fisherman Catch, Farmer's Harvest, and I Kill. <laughs> um, and and that was, I, we probably sold 15,000 dozens of those, and they come in a pack, you know, a dozen or 13, you know, for a dozen arrows. And I'm not kidding you, that was, had our little logo on, it had a bunch of arrows in the ground. I remember it was really, it's a cool looking arrow wrap. But it was it was fisherman catch and farmers harvest and I kill and and but that's that mentality of talking to that group you know you're not showing arrow wraps to non hunters mm-hmm. you know they, they would they would have no interest in it. but I, I I that harvest word is really tough for me too um, I I don't like it I, I I like the word I've taken well um, that's me I, I've had to I've used both over the years and and. You know, especially like since we started the podcast, somebody asked me, you know, well, did you get a turkey? Yes, I got, you know, I was able to take or, or able yeah. to get three turkeys. And, and and sometimes I throw the word harvest out. But, you know, most of the people that follow our podcast or, or follow our social media page, they're hunters. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether they're big time in it or, you know, just weekend warriors or whatever. So, you know, your demographic It's just when we're out in public settings. You know, you kind of have to watch what you do. And now so much with social media, you take that same arrow that y'all had such success with back then and post it up now and you're going to get as many likes and as many dislikes if there was a dislike button on it, (laughs) you know, as anything else. So, Yeah, everything's gone to keyboard strength. You know, there was beer muscles when we were in college. You know, that was the the drunk buddy that, Wanted to fight everybody. Ten foot tall and bulletproof, baby. Now, now, now you got the keyboard strength. That's the person that will never look you in the face and say anything, but they will just bully you, chime on you, chew you up because they can sit behind their keyboard and they're that, that that's where they get all this leverage on people. And and that's that's something wrong with society, especially for our children. Well, and wrong you know to, to go along with that, and I'm not sure if it's something we really need to touch on here or not, but it. You go to any hunting page, hunting forums and different things, it seems like sometimes we bash each other worse than outside groups. Mm-hmm. Go to a go to a turkey hunter's page or a, a, a duck hunter's page or a deer hunting page where you're shooting the wrong arrow, you're shooting the wrong broadhead, you that bow is just garbage. That you know, if you're not using this shell, you're you're not a real hunter. Uh whether you use a rifle to kill a deer or a bow or a, a spear, whatever floats your boat, you know, it's <laughs> it seems like 
Why did you kill a two-year-old turkey? Yeah, why did you kill that two? Well, I didn't ask him his age before I shot him. I did so. I knew good he was going to taste good with bacon and jalapeno. I've never asked a dove either, but that season's about to open up, and I promise I've bought enough bacon in the last week or two. You know, we're at least hopeful. You're getting ready to wrap some stuff. Oh, yes, sir. The, the, the jars of jalapeno and the bake. I'm not a big cream cheese. My wife likes the cream cheese, but I'll wrap them with double jalapenos and a good slathering of bacon. And when the bacon's crisp, it's right. So, just now, how much you, is a slather? Are you harvesting doves? Are you guys ready to just pound them? <laughs> We're trying to get to 15, boss. <laughs> whatever it takes to get there <laughs> that's right schlock. and if, and if my dog if my dog is picking them up I'm trying to get my 15 uh, because hmm. sometimes we come back with other people's birds and that makes for interesting conversations in the field So mm-hmm. I had one a couple of years ago the, the game warden was actually hunting with us he was off duty and I knew she had picked up several of his birds and I called a timeout during the hunt and said hey look just for the record, these are not all mine. Six or seven of these are yours. Come, come get them real quick before, before somebody else walks up and I'm over the limit with you sitting on the hill, you know, forty <laughs> yards from me. Yep. And he over did. the limit, under arrest. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> I, I was still within mine. Do when they come for you. Yeah. Beamer singing is not your forte, is it? There's not a lot of things that are my forte. <laughs> I, I have the face for radio. I have a I have a body for a wheelchair, and Lucky my singing, singing career ended with my band Tone Deaf. <laughs> the Tone Deaf band that would probably actually take off nowadays. Mm-hmm. Probably so. But Beamer, talking about your forte, we're going to talk about a few more of the great GSM products today, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to hit on some stuff that's very important this time of year. And it, it's stuff that most people may or may not take for granted, but it is different ways of holding your trail camera. And we've got, I think, 11 or 12 different mounting apparatus just in the hunting made easy. So if you go on, if you're listening to this, you go on to hmeproducts.com, hme, uh, huntingmadeeasyproducts.com and go to their accessories and take a look at all the different ways you can mount a camera. What, what's, what's you know, I think Jacob and I were talking about it, the T-Post uh, holder. Yeah. You really, you know, it, it's one of those things that here is a way of locking your camera onto a fence post and having that camera in that right spot. Because we've all looked around and here's this crossing or they're cutting under a fence. And there's not a tree around, you know, so you're sitting there, you're going, well, I can take one of these posts and I could stick it up there out in the field, or I can use this new T-Post trail camera holder and, and be golden here. And, and it's got a three-way uh, thumb screw, so you're going to be able to twist and turn this any which way you want. So that, I mean, that's just one of them. Well, that's when you told me earlier that this is what we were talking about today. I said, you know, that's funny timing because I just got a post from a friend of mine yesterday. And that's that. what he yeah. was, that's what he was showing. And I asked him, I said, well, where did you find it? And he told me he got it from HME and it was like, that's awesome. That, that's our topic for tomorrow. So 
you know, I can see where that application will come in so handy with so many different hunters because a lot of times you don't have a tree right where you need it or don't have a, you know, a post something you can strap a camera mm-hmm. to. So, you know, yeah. you take a T-post driver and a T-post and go put it right where you want it at the right distance that you want it. And well, most of the time your neighbor probably has a T-post right on the property line. <laughs> yep. You hang yeah, one there. And that's really it. <laughs> I, I've never I put done my that. camera here. <laughs> I've been known to do that a time or two. So, well, the problem is without without the holder, you got to sit there and wrap that strap around it about four times to try to get it to where you can tighten it up, and that's just a hassle. Well, and since the back of the camera is always flat, yeah, you never do just, get the right angle because the T post didn't turn quite right. Well, you're hoping that he put the flat side to your property. <laughs> it makes it easier. If he so didn't know how to fence, a, a, he did that. <laughs> a, a majority of the apparatus is on your side. Is that, is that what we're looking That's for? That's right. <laughs> yeah. It, but no, I mean, it, it, it's crazy if you look from the 90-degree screw and We have three packs, you know, $14.99 MSRP. They're just a simple 90 with a thumb screw, uh, quarter 20 mounted up. But then you get into your, your better camera holders and you get into these uh, posts and I'll tell you something about using the post. I use this one here. It's the trail camera holder ground mount. I had an apple tree on my farm, and the limbs were so low, you couldn't really go in and strap it to the tree, and these deer were hitting it. And I was able to take this post and stick it out probably about 15 feet from, from that uh, apple tree, and I got some of the most incredible footage of velvet bucks eating my apples and it was one of those things that if you didn't have it, how would you have done it? Mm-hmm. You know, set it, set it on the ground. If you'd have put it on the trunk of the tree, which you'd like to do, you know, anything that ever moved would, would be triggering it. And, and you'd never get a clear shot because the limbs, I mean, they, it was crazy. The limbs probably came down to three and a half feet off the ground, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these deer were sneaking in there and, and eating. And I, I got some great foot. I saw, I'll send you guys some. You can post it up there. But it, it is incredible velvet footage of these big deer munching on apples well it sounds to me and from what we've looked at that hme has just about any camera holder mm-hmm. that you could need or use i mean like you say you've got the t-post you've got you know a ground you've got screw-in anchors i mean you can do it any way you want to whatever fits your need yeah well and that's kind of you know what you have to run into there's there's deer that get leery of cameras and and being able to screw something in maybe eight ten feet off the ground okay and then angle it down at a scrape or something like that so you're not right on top that deer you know so when he's coming in and hitting that licking limb or or pawing at that scrape that the the base of the tree is not four and a half feet right in front of it you know it's one of those things i don't i don't care how let me use the word stealthy uh your your camera is giant deer big deer mature does probably mature does are probably the most cautious mm-hmm. they they know that's there and being able to to, to go up screw in a, a three-way mount into the tree you know eight ten feet up or maybe off of a side limb rather than the trunk and then face it at the scrape you know i've even hung them upside down because there's a lot of times i can screw into the bottom of a limb and, and hang my camera upside down 
And with some of our adjustment, you know, you have like, it's almost like a tripod uh, fluid head on these things. It's not fluid, but it's it's a nylon washer system. But you can loosen it up and point it at the right direction, and then it's great because then you're out on a limb, coming back pointing at a scrape, and you're coming back pointing at a licking branch, and you're not right there in that deer's face. I know the ones that I like are the are the screw in, and I know GSM has some great cameras out there that they uh, that they sell. But will that that'll fit most any brand trail, uh, trail camera, right? Yeah, that's the quarter twenty mount. That's the that's the common denominator of all cameras, and actually, yeah, um, e- even like your you know mini HD cameras and, and so on and so forth, like your recorder, mm-hmm. your little camcorders, they're all quarter twenty. And the neat thing is, is they have nylon uh, washer with a thumb screw, so. If your camera bottoms out, you know, at, at three revolutions onto the screw, you take that thumb screw and take it all the way up to it. So now it's it's taut right there. Right. And that's what you want. Yeah. And so so it'll fit all the cameras because some of them have deeper brass bushings in them, you know, so you, you can screw them down farther into it. But it, it'll adapt to any of them. You know, one of the, the deep products that we do have, though, is, is a strap-on one that uses a ratchet strap. And a lot of people, you know, might be questioning that, but up here on public land, and we have hundreds of thousands of acres in Wisconsin, you're not allowed to screw anything into the tree. Okay. Right. So if, if you want to capture something on a trail that you find, and I know cameras get stolen off public land, but you know, if, if your landowner doesn't want you to mar up any trees, it's a pretty neat way of doing it. And it's not just like strapping the camera onto it. It's, it's strapping this actual like, tripod system that has a leveling arm and, and everything that gives you that three plane that xyz axis uh ability to point that camera in any direction you want without you know screwing it into a tree so it has its own ratchet on there it's not just the pull you know cam lock type it's an actual ratchet where you can tighten it up right yeah that's pretty convenient i've had several cameras you know i don't know if it's the heat and moisture or whatever come back and it's done slid down the tree you know some or or you know turned around for maybe a coon and went up the tree or something like that your camera's turned all the way around because you just couldn't couldn't physically tighten it up enough that's uh yeah that's a pretty convenient feature yeah you can you can you can waylay on this thing and, and get it snug the way you want you know and the other thing is that we have an ozone uh holder you can use it for cameras also but you know some of the ozone generators that are out there uh they're quarter 22 on the bottom of them. screw this thing into the tree and you've got a two-way adjustable arm like a camera arm mm. then you have then you have that three axis uh tightened down head that you can put your 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 ozone generator and point it in the direction that you want awesome so you can use it for multiple different applications yeah and and you know a lot of people are getting into filming their own hunts and rightfully so, you know, you can almost do it. The only thing bad, an iPhone shoots the prettiest pictures in the world and shoots some of the greatest video. And I can't speak to a Samsung. I'm sure it does too. I, I, yeah, I don't own Apple, so I can't really brag on them, but my camera shoots beautiful stuff. If it could zoom a little bit more, I can tell you that the mini camcorder world would be hurting. It really would because I can take a Sony Handycam, put it on one of these mounts and a 4K, and zoom it back and that's my other that's my second camera angle and the neat thing about 4k is you can zoom in 50 percent 
So you can pan left to right with a stagnant camera sitting there. I can make it look like it's on a fluid head tripod and I can zoom in. So you're going to capture everything because you're going to be backed up. You know, so that's one of the things that people are getting into filming it. And we've got two different ones. We have an HME that has a camera hole, a really economical one. Then in the muddy line, we have a really nice camera arm that is smaller and compact that is perfect for these handy cams. Perfect for these little like NX80 Sony's like what I've got. You know, it's a full production camera, but they're in the smaller housings. I think that's the one that I have. I, I used one last year whenever I was duck hunting, and uh, I think I think mine is a muddy, but it, it was small, compact. I could put it in my blind bag, and then when I get there to hunt, you know, pull it out, screw it in, and and um and put my camera on there, and it 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 worked worked flawlessly. I mean, it was. I didn't want one that was, you know, two foot long to where, you know, it was bulky to tote in, tote out, and, and couldn't fit in my bag. So I was looking for one that was small enough that, you know, I had it with me. I wouldn't know I even had it with me until I needed it. Yeah, it's uh, some of those camera arms, especially from the days gone past, you know, when I was in the industry, we had giant production cameras. I mean, that weighed like 15, 18 pounds, you know, and you put them on your shoulder and, and you know, Here's this eyepiece, and then you got two foot of lens out in front of you. <laughs> and you were using camera arms that would hold your lawnmower up in the air. Yeah, it's a production just putting the yeah the camera arms on the tree. And and you look at some of these different folks' setups, and some are really, you know, unique and compact, and then some are still very, very elaborate. So I guess it depends on which equipment you're running and what I guess whatever you prefer, whether you hunt a stand regular, you know, a lot of times we move around from stand to stand all the time and or blind to blind, whether we're duck hunting or deer hunting and Yeah. You know, something that's easy to move, something that's, you know, compact and, and easy to transport and quick to assemble. Yeah. That was the thing I right. was more of mine. You know, especially yeah. if you're in a, if you're in a duck hunting because you're in water. Yeah. You, you really don't want any <laughs> mishaps no <laughs> they get expensive real quick and i guess if you're 15 foot up a tree they get expensive also but <laughs> yeah there's there's been a lot of cameras it doesn't take but a good range and uh just can catch some electronics in the wrong way and it, it'll stop it uh, especially cold weather you know we were my wife and i were hunting from the farm it was uh january 3rd it was like 28 below zero and that's the standing temp, and the deer were coming out. Now, that's Celsius or Fahrenheit? So, well, yeah, we were in a blind. We had a heater in there. Uh, you know, we were li it was livable. But with these deer, we were just hammering my soybeans where we left like three or four acres of them. And here they come, the whole string of them. And we were waiting for that buck, and I'm filming. And I think it was a larger Sony. I can't remember the nomenclature on it. But uh, I went to Zoom, and... <laughs> It started making this clunking noise, and my lens motor, believe it or not, there's a motor in there that drives your lens. Uh, it froze up and broke because it was so cold in there. And you sit there and you go, that was a very expensive hunt. Uh, it was like $2,500 to have that fixed. And we never got to shoot anything because, well, the clunking noise, I, it wouldn't stop clunking. It was trying to get you know gear engaged, and it, and it really sounded like a transmission going bad. And you're sitting there in the blind, nice and quiet, and all these deer are out, and you got this, and it wouldn't stop. 
was almost like my MRI machines that I'm getting so familiar with. <laughs> yeah, that's about the time you yank the battery out the back and try to make it go dead as fast as you can. Yeah, they, they turned hide and ran. That was the end of it. So it was, a, it was an expensive afternoon of trying to kill something late in the season. And Beamer, 25 below. Now, is that Fahrenheit or is that Celsius? It's Kelvin. Kelvin, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's 4,000 below zero. I should have known there was going to be some response like that. <laughs> some Beamerism no, that's, coming that's back. That's Fahrenheit. We, you know, but it, it's a dry cold. Uh, no, it's, 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 it's crazy some of the temperatures that you hunt. And I've got so many pictures last year of of us out there in the fields like you know the the wind the wind chill or the wind temp and i'd send him to my brother he lives in st louis i'd send him to my brother and he'd be like 21 below 31 below you know you you have to be protected but the clothing and, and heating systems have gotten unbelievable there's a product on hme uh hand warmer i'm gonna take you right to it yeah are you guys online right there so i'm gonna see hand warmer right here let me see this is like a plug and a half to this product. This is my favorite HME product, and I'll tell you why. This is a hand warmer, electric hand warmer that gets has two temperature settings, and it, it goes from like 110 to, let's say, 118, high and low. It does it instantly, okay? And it holds this charge and runs for, mine run about three or four or five hours, depending on how cold it is. They say five hours down here. This thing has a flashlight on it. And it is a charging station for your phone. So not only is this thing, you know, you take one of those hand warmer muffs, you know, that you strap on that sits in front of you. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't like wearing gloves. I don't care how cold it is. I, I do not like having gloves on I'm my hand other, other than my bow hand having a little like mesh jersey glove, but my fingers are open. And I put my hands in this, this hand warmer muff with this thing in there. My hands are toasty, toasty warm. And then if you're screwing around playing Angry Birds or whatever on your phone or challenging your kid to something out in the blind or whatever, and your phone starts getting low, you plug it in and charge your phone off of this. Uh, it, it, seriously, if you were ever to think of a great early Christmas present for the, the, the love of your life, male or female, coming into the fall season, get them these. Uh, these hand warmers are incredible. I, 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 I Seriously, it's my favorite HME product. I'm going to have to get one. That's a pretty and, cool they, little deal. They're dynamite. How how long does it last? He said five hours. Five hours. This this says five hours. You know when I'm when I'm using a hand warmer, it's uh, standing temp might be minus three to whatever. You know feels like minus fifteen to minus thirty. Uh, it's cold when I'm using one of these, so I, I can promise you my runtime might be a little bit different. But man, it goes and goes and goes. You think about the last time. You know, it was so cold you couldn't see straight that you were out there for, you know, five, six hours needing a hand warmer, you know. Or needing to charge your phone. (laughs) What's that? I said, or just needing to charge your phone. Well, that's it. I mean, there's some places when if you're conducting business or whatever, and and, you can be in a place that sucks battery, you know, faster than, than you can imagine. And it's just... Now, Beamer, if you're if you're using the phone charger and the hand warmer, uh, I'm sure it says on there. Does it lessen the time of the hand warmer? Does it I'm deplete? Sure it, does. The, it drains battery. Drains battery faster. Yeah, it doesn't say. It just says up to five hour runtime. So I'm guessing five is max. Well, whether you're just charging your phone or using the hand warmer, but I'm sure 
using both, but uh, but yeah, recharges in three hours. Well, the the neat thing about this is it heats up instantly. You remember the butane ones that we had that had the red felt um, bags? You fill them with butane, you light it, you, and you put them in there. You, Jeremy, you might not. Jacob, do you remember those? I can't. No, remember I do not remember about. anything that we lit. Oh. Uh... <laughs> Well, yeah, we y'all hold on, watch this. I'm gonna light my hand warmer. I'm thinking that's gonna make a special episode right there. Uh, (laughs) I see so many things going wrong with me trying to do that. (laughs) uh, Oh yeah, like like shaking and pouring the butane down your sleeve and then lighting it all and wondering why you're warming up a little faster than you thought you were. It's because you're on fire. Yeah, uh-huh. I, I see that going wrong real quick. <laughs> yeah, th- there were some things that, you know, in our duck hunting blinds, and maybe you guys still have them, we had, you know, elevated blinds over the river, right? So you pull your boat in there, it's all brushed in or whatever, and your boat's totally encased in this, and then you step up into this area. And how we heated it was a metal coffee can full of charcoal. You know, you, if you did that right now, people would look at you like, you know, secondhand smoke here and you're going to burn <laughs> the place down. Yep. And, and you did. You melted the bottoms off your boots. You know, you would sit there and try to warm your feet up. You hold it up against that. Next thing you know, the dripping rubber off the bottom of your boots. We, I think, so. usually we just use little propane heaters, but uh, I, I may not be quite. You know, us down here in the south, we don't get quite the same cold y'all do where we need a charcoal in a coffee can. Yeah, well, we, we were, I'm a lot older. We didn't have propane heaters back then. <laughs> we, we had charcoal. Y'all did okay. have charcoal. <laughs> yeah, your, your grill, uh, it wasn't until I was about 14 that my grill actually had a bottle of propane that you hooked on and hit a button. And uh, there was a name called Weber. And you threw charcoal in it, and you heated it up. And then you said, hey, that would be a brilliant idea to take out the duck blind with you. So you'd take a metal coffee can. You know, you can still get metal coffee cans. Well, Beamer, I know on that. more than Folders. one occasion with us hunting public land, we have gone to the bank, you know, go and, and reserve your spot real quick, and you leave one poor soul there while three or four mm-hmm. of you go over on the bank and start a fire. Or, You know, I know several years ago I bought one of the little buddy heaters, and kind of got laughed at as I was toting it in. It was really cold that morning, and it wasn't very long after I cranked it up. I had pulled gloves off, face mask off, and opened my jacket up. And <laughs> I noticed real quick I had three or four more that were snuggled around there pretty close, too. Yeah. And that it, is the, the greatest invention with that oxygen monitor on those things. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, I was just... You know, when you go from getting made fun of to everybody joins in. It's not a bad idea, Pooh. That's all right. You You showed them something. Everybody's got to step out of the box, but those heaters, I've got a funny story about that heater and a giant deer. That Mr. Buddy heater. Lay it on. Okay. All right. I took a gentleman out with me to film. He's 74 years old. A great friend of mine. And I was, this is probably eight, 10 years ago. And we had a blind set up on a soybean field and it was late season. It was brutally cold. It was like seven below standing temp and the wind was blowing. It was probably 20 below wind chill. And I had him a body heater suit, a black one that I had them make for inside the blind. 
So Irv is in this black body heater suit. I've got, I'm bundled up and we're wearing Iditarod boots. Both of us are, are wearing Jeff King, uh, Sorrells. They're minus 150, whatever, before they do damage to your feet. And we're bundled up and I've got this Mr. Buddy heater and it's running high in the blind. And Irv is sticking it out. God love him. I mean, he's a tough old fart and he's, he's, he's sticking with it. I got him there and, you know, you touch the camera to go film something and man, your hand just freezes. Okay. You know, it's metal grip, metal, you know, carbon rods or whatever. It's just cold. So we're doing this and all of a sudden the buck that I'm after, uh, he shows up about 150 yards down, pops out of the woods at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a couple of does come out with him. The does start feeding towards me. So this buddy heater's running and running and running. All of a sudden, it starts sputtering. <laughs> you know, like a, like a motor that just ran out of gas. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, and Irv goes, can you change the propane? Um, and I, I'm thinking, well, now I've got to get down, unscrew this propane bottle, because you got to hang on to metal, okay? It is so cold that you touch metal. And like I said, I don't wear gloves except for a jersey on my my bow hand so i'm screwing this bottle uh, off this one that is sputtering and i set it down and i screw the new one on and i'm trying to hit that click button you know that it fires mm-hmm. it up it sounds like you smacking a you know hollywood stick together you know to mark your film it's so loud but the bottle that sputtered wasn't empty and it's oh. sitting down there on the bottom of the blind it starts going yes yes <laughs> yeah, well, propane is heavy, right? So it's it stays down on the ground. So I'm down on the ground trying to screw this other one up and get it lit, okay? So I'm trying to hit the button while this other bottle's filling the blind up, okay? And it, it wasn't really registering to me. Had that thing really took off, it could have been very bad. Very. I, 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 yeah, I'm clicking, I'm clicking, I'm clicking, I'm clicking, I'm clicking. Nothing happens like this. Irv reaches down and he grabs that bottle, and I'm not tell you, there's frost on this bottle. You could, you could have taken his fingerprints off of this. He throws it out back in the blind with a deer kind of hear something. I'm still trying to push this button. It will not spark. I think God was telling me, duh, this ain't happening today. <laughs> and I look, I, I look up and the deer are now in our soybean field. I am off my chair. I'm down in the front of the blind. The whole bottom of this blind is just immersed in propane odor. And I mean, it's like coughing and choking you. Poor Irv, here's this, I, I think he was 74 at the time. He's over here. He has no heater now. He's got his hand on the tripod trying to film this deer. I, we made enough racket anyhow. We spooked him out of the field. And I never got an opportunity to him. But I, I just remember I'm pushing the starter ignite button on the buddy heater. And I just kept hitting it and hitting it. And that whole bottom of that blind, you know, five foot by five foot structure, you know, 25 foot square foot on the, on the floor of the blind. It had been filled to like eight inches deep of propane. And... <laughs> I'm pretty certain the deer would have left the field if it would have caught. You would have probably left the blind. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the blind may would have taken off on its own. Uh-huh. It'd be like one of those water heater stories you hear about that goes through the basement up to the roof. Rocket man. Uh-huh. You may yeah. have had you may have had not enough oxygen in there for it to light. <laughs> well, as I, it hurt my, I didn't realize how bad it hurt my lungs. I was coughing the whole way home. Oh, I bet. And, it was terrible because I was down, you know, the blinds aren't, you know, that big. So if you get down off of it, you're up front, you're right there up front. And I couldn't really move. You can't pop up and down, you know, I'm right there in the window. And these deer were standing right where they're supposed to be. 
and uh, I got a bottle just leaking down there, just filling the bottom of it up. Well, Beamer, yeah. all I'm going to say is you were probably a lot nicer than I am because had the deer been close enough for us to be able to do something, I may have just had to say, suck it up, buttercup, we'll get warm in a minute. Oh. I can't kill anything off film. It doesn't. It doesn't do me any good. So I've I've had a lot of squandered opportunities that you sit there and you go, really, well, really you can't shoot him. That's yeah. the conversation that we've had a lot on here, uh, especially talking with people who film like yourself. If it comes down to me getting the footage or me taking the shot, the shot is going to be <laughs> taken. Uh, that's the reason you don't see a lot of footage from us. So if I'm filming you, that's a whole different story. But you know, the first time I took it and tried to film a duck hunt, I have great footage of the ducks circling and, and we're calling and working them. And when it came down to shoot time, when it was take them time, the, the camera got sat down. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> you hear lots of shots and then you, you get a, a picture of things floating on the water. Yep. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah I, missed the, I missed the real. You got to do one of the two. Either you're going to film or you're going to shoot. One of the two. Yep. And, and that's like turkey guarantee. hunting or deer hunting also. If it comes down to, okay, well, the camera's not quite on him, but you've got the perfect angle and the perfect <laughs> shot, you know, we'll take pictures yeah. after. Yeah, we'll get a video of the story. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> it after. <laughs> You'll do a documentary. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We'll tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. and that, that, you know, that's one of those things, and it's crazy for 27 years i haven't shot anything off film and it's one of those things that you feel like you're sinning just filming yourself instead of having a camera person with you now with these 4k cameras you can you know lock them all wide you can do whatever your cameraman can do for the most part and you sit there and it feels sinful it feels like ah, is it really that good a footage because one of the things the difference is when you when you film and you do it for, and you do it really well. And I'll point out like the Drury's or, or Heartland bow hunters or, you know, wild outdoor. You're zooming in on, at times on a turkey's eyeball. You know, you're zooming in on a deer's whiskers blowing, you know, steam out of his mouth on a, on a cold day. And you just can't capture that by yourself zoomed back up in a tree or in a blind zoomed back. You know, you just can't and you can't move around and it just feels sinful not to have that cameraman with you. And it's one of those things that I don't really think that I could shoot a deer that's not being filmed. It, it's been so much of my life that if somebody said, tell you what, quit filming, go out there, take a tree stand, not a ground line, take a tree stand, hang it wherever you want and kill whatever you want. I, I, w- I would feel guilty. Huh. I don't have those same feelings, so I can't, I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't say I understand where you're coming from there because I'm, I'm going to go load up quick. But, but I've had the experience over the last year or two that filming it is fun if you're not the one, you know, doing the shooting. Oh, I enjoy, right. especially filming the kids. And oh, stuff. yeah. Like whenever uh, I went up to Kentucky and, uh, and that's all, that was my whole responsibility was just filming my son. And, I mean, that was great. I mean, that was almost, you know, obviously I was going to enjoy the moment because, you know, he was going to get to kill his first deer and and uh, and I was going to get it on film. But, you know, just sitting there trying to get the best footage of a deer walking in, you know, zoom in, like you say, Beamer, trying to get that, you know, the breath of the deer and all that kind of good stuff. And 
you know, then trying to still be, you know, stealthy at the same time of, you know, trying to get the camera move with a deer, you know, 15 yards in front of you. And I mean, it's a, it's a challenge in itself. It's just something really fun, but my duck hunting, it just didn't turn out so well because I couldn't leave the gun hanging right there to to get the, <laughs> have to, to get the footage. I just, I couldn't, you, I, you have to commit and that's I a hard thing. I couldn't make commitment. myself do it. I couldn't make myself do it. Well, Beamer, look, we're running down to the uh, to the end of this. Now, we've ended each one of these shows with I'm the Luckiest Man Alive stories. Do you okay. have a segment here today? Um, I, Yeah, I, I can I think he just that. brought it out with not blowing, you know, not sending not, the, the... Not blowing the... Not sending the, uh, the hunting stand up into the t- treetop. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, got, I got a good one that I did. And I've always been a little off kilter. And I, I think it's my, because I'm left-handed. Um, but I was dove hunting and you guys probably remember, I was seven years old. I had a little savage single shot and you know, I, I was pretty proficient That's all they made back then. It's it, it, it seven and I had the old hammer, you know, you had to pull a hammer back and my dad and my brother had taught me everything and believe it or not, I had gone through hunter safety and I'm on the railroad tracks, dove hunting with my father and my brothers. And off of this uh, rail uh, crossing or bridge, you know, an overpass mm-hmm. where the trains go over the the uh, river, there is this giant dead tree. And it comes up alongside the railroad bridge. And it's about eight feet away from the bridge. Okay? And it's dead. And it's one of those things that's got that slick old dead wood look to it, you know, but Perfect a bunch of good branches on it. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm probably 15, 18, 20 feet in the air. I don't know how high it was. You know, it, 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 when I look back, it feels like 60, but then it, it, it didn't bother me. Now I'm seven years old. <clears throat> I, and what we used to have to do is my dad would run over and grab me when the train was coming and we would get off the tracks, you know, just be smart. You'd see it coming from a mile off. So you had a little time. Great move. Yeah. So I was sitting there one day. And, and doves weren't flying. It was early. It was about four o'clock, you know, and they like to fly right before dark. And my brothers are on both sides of the end of the bridge. My dad is about 25 yards away from me on the bridge. And I turn around and I'm looking at this tree. I'm looking at this tree and I'm looking at this tree and I just decide I'm going to set my gun down. I'm going to jump and I'm going to catch this tree and I'm going to show my dad and my brothers I'm not scared of anything. I did. I'm not lying to you. I, I I leapt from the bridge and jumped to this tree. Like I said, it might have been 14, 16, 18, 20 feet. I don't know. It was high. And if I look back on it, it's, it's unbelievable that I pulled the stunt. <laughs> My father turns around. I hadn't said anything. I'm on the tree now. Okay. I am, I'm on the tree standing on little broke off limbs, you know, and, and I'm, you know, hanging this tree like, like a monkey. And my dad turns around and he's like, what in the, uh, how did you get there? And I said, I just jumped. He's like, <laughs> how are you getting down? So well, I really hadn't thought about that because as it got bigger, it was slicker. Okay. And the, the limbs ended and that was over a creek. I remember I, sh- I shimmied down as far as I could go. And my dad and my brothers are not down there to help me. It's going into the river. And it's like creek. It's not a river. It's a creek. You know, it's a foot and a half deep. And I'm sitting there, and now I'm about eight, ten feet up in the air. And Dad's like, "What are you doing now, Brainiac?" <laughs> I said, "I'm jumping." <laughs> and I jumped down, <laughs> and I look back at this, and you know, dead trees break. 
And, you know, I probably only weighed 50, 60 pounds then, but limbs break. And, and I just, something in my head said, try it, just do it. It wasn't like my brothers that normally, you know, encouraged me to run in the bathtub with soap and crack my chin open. Like we talked, I just looked at it and said, I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump off this railroad track bridge to that dead tree. And it, it, it almost makes my stomach turn thinking about it now because I'm so busted up that, that I know some things didn't work quite as well as they should have. They were I'm planned just seeing out a, a lifelong way. pattern here is yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah. So, uh, and we just oh, wonder yeah. why we talked about the first five minutes of the podcast. You know, just wonder why we're talking about all of Beamer's medical issues. Don't know yeah. how those transpired over the years. Now we know that. Yeah. Is, as Paul Harvey would say, that is the rest of the story. Oh, and I don't believe that's all the story either. There's probably plenty more to go with it. <laughs> oh, but, but we could just do a podcast of my stupidity. <laughs> well, Beamer, we'll save it for the next one. All right. <laughs> all right, guys. We hope y'all enjoyed it. We sure did. Thanks for listening to this episode of Outdoor Country Talk. God bless. God bless. God bless. Yeah. Lord, to make you feel alright I got the windows down I got the radio on